Hey, this is Steve Campbell from the C3 Church. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. Our prayer for you is that you'll be blessed, equipped, and enabled as you listen to this message. God bless you. To introduce our speakers today, well, our speaker. Well, actually, there is two of them. Um, And I'm going to do something that we don't do every week, but I'm going to ask you to jump to your feet because Elspeth is eight months pregnant. And if she can stand here for 25 minutes and share, then you can welcome her as she comes to stage. (laughs) Brilliant. (laughs) I appreciate that. Yeah, just to warn you all, the baby's head got in position this week, so if you see me kind of cramping, call the midwife. Uh, (laughs) Only joking. Well, I'm not actually joking at all, but there we go. Anyway, it's so good to be with those of you here in the room. If you're watching online, so great that you're with us in Bury, Colchester, Church Online, and in the prisons. I love that we are live streaming to all these different locations. And it really is, and I I do actually mean this, a real privilege and honour, so thank you, Pastor Steve and Angie, for inviting me to speak today. While it's a privilege and a pleasure, I do feel a weighty responsibility with the content of today's message because of just how timely it is. The focus or the title of today's message is Doing the Impossible. And I think after the week that we've had in the UK, the months that we've had in the UK, the year that we've had internationally, today's message really does feel like doing the impossible. I don't know if you have kept up with the local news. I don't know if anyone can keep up with the, with the news, actually, to be honest. Every time I go onto the BBC News uh, website, I'm thinking, who's Prime Minister? Who's in? Who's out? It's like a game of guess who. Thinking, what is the economic situation at the moment? Who's striking next? What is going on? In fact, my husband and I were talking about how butter has gone up 33%. Uh, my husband, Josh, was looking at kind of our food bill and said, Elspeth, You spent how much on butter this week? Um, And I know that actually the cost of living crisis is a real issue and concern and worry for so many of us, particularly as we're coming up to winter season. The times we're living in are pretty turbulent. Maybe you're not from the UK, maybe you're watching online overseas and you're laughing at the fact I'm talking about the cost of butter going up. Don't you know how good you've got it in England? You've got animal rights, for goodness sake. I'm going on maternity leave and I'm about to benefit from that. We have policing by consent, we have fair trials, we have health and safety policies here in the UK. And we just have to turn the TV on or talk to some friends. Maybe you yourself have come from overseas and you know what it is like to live under an oppressive regime. To be persecuted, maybe for your faith. Maybe just being oppressed by the government or politicians, your employer. Life isn't fair, life is hard. And so the passage that we're going to look at from 1 Peter chapter 2 today is to say, okay, well, how do we live under this? How do we live in the now but not yet? So before we do, because I think this topic is so timely for us, it's only right that we pray before the outset. So Father, I thank you for your Bible. I thank you that your word is God-inspired. It is alive. It is active. And it is so relevant for us today. So, Father, I thank you for your word, and I pray that as we open the Bible, that our hearts would be opened to hearing from you, to receiving instruction. Father, I pray that we would have ears to hear, eyes to see what you're saying to us, what you're calling us to. 
In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So last week, Daniel Rolfe, pastor from Colorado, spoke really about 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, Christians live in the now, but not yet. The now, but not yet. Now, if you're scratching your head, that's understandable because it's one of these weird phrases to say that we live after the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, but before a time in which Jesus is going to come back and his kingdom, his values, his principles, his rule, his power will fully be realized and be established. And so for you and I, we live in this between time. And I love how Pastor Rolf basically said, actually, in this in-between time, when we pray for healing, we do see God's kingdom in the now breaking through when we see miracles. We absolutely believe that. But maybe you have been praying for something for a long time and you haven't seen God's kingdom fully break in. It's the now, but the not yet. And so I love how Daniel basically said, he said, okay, so we have not only been saved from sin and death and oppression with the death of Jesus, but we have been saved for a reason in the here and now. And he quotes from 1 Peter saying that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. In other words, you and I, friends, if we are followers of Jesus, we are called to live in the now but not yet and testify or witness to the coming kingdom, its values. We are called to be God's ambassador here on earth. It's like we're living overseas and we are representing our citizenship or our country, which is over here. And so the passage we're going to look at today builds on this from 1 Peter. It says, okay, so what does it look like practically then? In the here and now, if I belong to this kingdom, but I'm living under this kingdom, how do these two kingdoms interact? How do I interact with them? What do I do? What is my behavior if I'm an ambassador or a priest for God? Now, all of us live under authority. You might be watching from prison and you know full well what it is to live under a legal system, to have parole officers, prison guards. Maybe you go to work and you know what it is like to have po- you know, rigid policy or company rules. You can work from home, you have to return from work, this is your pension scheme. Maybe you are self-employed, but you still have to abide by health and safety policies and procedures. You have to pay your taxes. Maybe you think, no, I'm pretty free, but hey, you know when to put your bins out because the local council tells you to do that. We have speed cameras that hold us to account. Maybe you're at school. You sit under the authority of the teacher and the schooling system, your GCSEs, your A-levels, university. And so this is a real question for all of us, especially when the earthly kingdoms or secular authorities and leadership seem to be in kind of a wall, They're a bit out of control, they're off kilter. What is our response to them? So if you're able to stand, I'd love it if you can stand with me, Barry, Colchester, Church Online, let's all stand together as one family, one body, and let's read this scripture together. This is 1 Peter chapter 2, 13 to 25. Hopefully it should appear on the screen. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people." Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as slaves of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. 
slaves. In reverent fear of God, submit yourself to your masters, not only those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But if you, well done, if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it, but if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. I love that. <laughs> Some people whooped, feel free to sit down. I wonder if other people are thinking, oh my goodness, this is an impossible ask. Have you just asked me to submit myself to some of these politicians, to my employer? Have you really just asked me to do this? Now, it's important to say that the context that this was written in was to a group of Christians who were being persecuted and killed for their faith. They were literally living under Roman occupation. And so it's not like they had a sweeter deal than we did. And yet they are still told to respond to these two kingdoms in this way, that God has called us to submit to these earthly kingdoms. So the first question that we need to ask is, what on earth is submission? What on earth are we actually being asked to do? So point one, if you're a pen and pencil, note-taking kind of person, maybe you've got your phone, do get it out. Point one is, what is submission then? I love how 1 Peter says, okay, let's unpack this by looking to Jesus as our example. And there's a fantastic moment in the life of Jesus that he is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he has different choices in front of him. He is there knowing that he is about to be arrested by the Roman authorities, to be beaten up and ultimately to be killed. And in that moment, Jesus has a choice to make. What do I do? How do I respond to this secular authority that want to come and get me? The first thing then is that submission isn't passivity. Submission is not passivity. What do I mean? Jesus, in his anguish, knowing that he's about to be arrested, is sweating blood, and he says, okay, God, not what I will, but what you will. God is submitting to his Father in that moment. And in that moment, he has a choice. He can run away. He can flee from the situation. In fact, Jesus would have known that in Jerusalem, a couple of centuries before, his ancestor, King David, fled from conflict when he was being pursued by Absalom, by other authorities. And he withdrew into the desert. In fact, at the time of Jesus, there was a community of Jewish people called the Essenes, and they literally lived on the outskirts of the city. They avoided conflict. They pacified themselves. They literally buried their head in the sand to the secular authorities. And they waited and waited for the spiritual kingdom to God. In fact, a theologian, N.T. Wright, says this. They were perfectly safe, apparently pure, and probably useless. 
I've got an 18-month-year-old daughter, and uh, I was always against dummies until week two. <laughs> and then you can have all these ideas about parenting until you become one, I guess. Anyway, I realized then why the Americans call a dummy a pacifier because it literally pacifies the child. When she was screaming and crying, I could get this dummy out and kind of pop it in. She was pacified, she was passive, she was silenced. We could avoid conflict and drama and noises and things like that, and yet Jesus doesn't choose this. He doesn't choose this option. He doesn't choose to run or withdraw. In fact, he comes into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry, knowing what's about to happen. Jesus isn't pacified. Submission to God is not passivity. Now, unfortunately, for many Christians, we have misinterpreted what submission looks like. And we think that to be holy, to be pure, we need to pacify ourselves to the wrongs that are going on in the world around us, to the wrongs that we see, the oppression, the injustices, the immorality in our leadership. And that has got Christians into trouble. We see things like abuses of power, Often then, this is a failure to act or to respond to the things that we see, and that is not what we're being asked to do here. But often then, and I think this is the time that we're living in, which is there's now the pendulum swinging the other way, which is rather than pacifying ourselves to the wrongs and the stuff going on to avoid conflict, thinking that's the holier thing to do, the pendulum swung the other way, and suddenly it's like Pandora's box is open, and there's lots of stuff coming about, out about church leaders, finances, people, politicians filling each other up at party conferences, parties at Downing Street during lockdown. All this stuff's coming out. Sexual abuse scandals, social, racial injustices. All this stuff's coming out. And it is totally understandable then that our reaction swings the other way to one of anarchy. I cannot trust authority. I need to dismantle and deconstruct institutions, especially organized religion. Can't trust them. Anything with a hierarchy, no, that is wrong. And the pendulum swings the other way. But friends, 1 Peter tells us that actually anarchy, this distrust, deconstructing, deinstitutionalize of these kingdoms is also not godly. Again, in the garden, Jesus has this option. He could fight the authorities that are coming for him. In fact, one of his disciples draws a sword, and as he draws a sword, he cuts off one of the people's ears because he wants to kind of get rid of them, push them back, fight. In fact, Jesus is surrounded by disciples and people who say, let's overthrow the Roman authorities. Let's do it. Let's tear them down. They're oppressive. They're rubbish. And let's make Jesus our secular king in this kingdom. And yet Jesus does not want any of this because he knows that you don't overthrow the oppressor by being oppressive. You don't overthrow hungry for power by being hungry for power. In fact, Jesus in John chapter 18 says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, but my kingdom is from another place. The man who's putting him on trial, Pilate, says, Aha, you are a king then. And Jesus answers, You say that I am king. In fact, the reason I am born now in this time in history and have come into the world is to testify to the truth of the coming kingdom. So if submission then is not passivity, where we just turn a blind eye to suffering and to the wrongs and to oppression, 
but it's also not anarchy. I'm going to overthrow it. I'm going to tear it down and establish something else in its place. What is it? Well, Jesus has told us that actually submission is testifying or bearing witness to being an ambassador for the future and the coming kingdom of God. Bearing witness to those values of grace, being given what we don't deserve, of mercy, of love. So the question then is, well, how do these two kingdoms interact? If we're in the now but not yet, we're not called to passivity, anarchy, we're called to testify to this kingdom which we belong to. I mean, who's with me but head spinning a little bit? In Mark chapter 12, there's a great moment where Jesus goes into a temple and some local leaders, authorities come to him and want to catch him out and they say, okay, Jesus, are you going to submit to the patriarchy? Are you going to pay your taxes? Because we, we know you belong to this kingdom. So what are you going to do now? How are you going to interact with this current kingdom? Are you going to pay your taxes to Caesar, to your leader? And Jesus' response is interesting. He says, yeah, I submit to Caesar. I submit and I honor the emperor. But I give first and foremost my submission and allegiance to the coming kingdom of God. Because, and this is a really important point, because we believe that God has put in place earthly rulers, leaders, authorities to govern well, to punish wrongdoing, to praise those who do right. Now, isn't that lovely? Wouldn't that work wonderfully if that's actually what happened? But quite often, it goes off kilter. People, leaders, rulers, governments, employers don't often uh, or don't always do that. Things go off kilter where the wrongdoers are praised and those who do do right are punished. And when that happens, God's spiritual kingdom, the one that our allegiance is to first, is to hold to account then these authorities here on earth. To say to them, hey, no, no, remember the poor. Remember the widow and orphan. We get Christian lobbyists, for example, who go and say to the politicians, you know, remember Isaiah 58, freedom to the oppressed, bring the homeless into homes, to hold these institutions to account. And so while we submit, remember, it's not passivity, it's not anarchy, it's testifying to greater truths of grace, mercy, love, justice. And that is what we are called to uphold, to demonstrate, to model, and to hold to account. And so there may come times then in your life where you think, while I am submitting to my employer, to my boss, to my politician, to my council leader, to my country, there is a line that cannot be crossed. If it impinges upon or tries to set the tone for spiritual kingdom, or if it goes off kilter and the wrong are being praised, then we need to hold that to account. But, as 1 Peter says, we do it by showing proper respect to everyone loving the family of believers, fearing God first and foremost, and honoring the empire, um, the emperor or the leader. So point two then is why submit? So we're submitting to bear witness, to point to, to testify to God's coming kingdom and its values. And I love this. 1 Peter says that we are called to do this for the Lord's sake. So when I submit, when I choose to say, okay, I'm going to submit myself to these authorities, I'm not doing it for my sake, I'm not doing it for their sake, I'm doing it for the Lord's sake, to point to him, because I'm his ambassador. So when I say, okay, I'm going to submit to the police, I'm not doing it for their ego or their pride, I'm doing it for the sake of the Lord. When I choose to say yes and submit to my employer who seems really unfair 
who's mispaying me, who's, who's stirring up trouble, who overlooks me and undervalues me. I'm not submitting and honoring them. I'm not honoring them for their ego, their pride. No, I'm not doing it. I'm doing it for the Lord's sake. If I choose to love the pastor who's been embroiled in some kind of immorality kind of case, I'm not loving him for his sake or uh, for, for anything like that. I'm, I'm doing it because I'm doing it for the Lord's sake because he has asked me to do it. This is what I'm called to do for God's fame and for his glory. That in my actions and the way that I speak of people in authority, of institutions, of the church, friends, can we stop pulling down the church and Christians, particularly on social media? <laughs> I'm not doing it for their sake. I'm doing it for the sake of the Lord because he has called us to this. And when we do this, 1 Peter says that we silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. In other words, there are some people who have no idea what God's coming kingdom is like. They've got no idea who Jesus is or the values that he lives by and he holds. And so when we start acting it out, even though, my goodness, it feels impossible, my goodness, it feels countercultural, then we are silencing the talk of ignorant and foolish people. In other words, we are demonstrating to them the values of God's kingdom, grace, what we don't deserve, mercy, love, forgiveness, patience, kindness, justice. This is what we're demonstrating, and this is what we are called to do. Now, I'm going to say that we don't silence ignorant people. <laughs> we don't educate people by our minimal Christian ethics. What I mean is this. Say so what? You pay your taxes. Say so what? You try and obey the speeding, um, speeding kind of cameras and things like that, maybe. Say so what if you vote? You, you buy your TV license and you live stream TV. Say so what? That's minimal Christian ethics. In fact, it's also not impressive if you're one of these Christians who are always saying, but this isn't fair, these are my rights, this is how I should be. Always argumentative, always trying to kind of turn things around. Fairness, fairness, fairness. That's also not impressive. In fact, 1 Peter says this, you really want to demonstrate God's coming kingdom and his values. Endure harsh and unfair treatment, even when you've done good. Speak honorably of dishonorable people. Respect those who act disrespectfully. And honoring, dishonoring people might simply look like giving them a fair trial. Just like Jesus, then, we don't retaliate when we've been insulted. We don't make threats when we've been under suffering. We submit to those that we disagree with. My husband came home from a meeting not too long ago, and he was really impressed. He said, oh, when I was sat around the table, lots of different departments represented there. They said, look, we can disagree as much as we want in this meeting, but as soon as we leave these doors, we speak honorably of each other, we've got each other's back. Even if that means that we have to submit to a decision that we disagree with. The third point, then, that 1 Peter makes is this. Submission transforms it might feel like, right, okay, if I'm in the now but not yet and I'm called to submit, to testify to this, it feels like nothing's going to happen. I'm just going to have to roll with it. But that's not what 1 Peter says. 1 Peter says, no, 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 this is the true way of transformation. Why? Because the Bible is really clear that oppression, the oppressor, sin, evil, power-grabbing, greed, doesn't just exist out here, doesn't just exist in the Kremlin or in Iran or in 10 Downing Street, but it exists in all of our hearts. There is an oppressor in all of us. And for true transformation, we all need to submit ourselves, to get over ourselves, to die to ourselves. What is fair? What's not fair? But I'm doing really good. 
and yet I'm not treated this way. We are called to submit. And so when we say to God, okay, God, you are God, I am not. I am your ambassador. Verse 24 says that our sins or the oppression or the oppressor in each one of us is born in the body of Jesus so that we too might die to sin and to oppression and live to righteousness. If we have died to ourselves and we are living to Christ and suddenly we don't have many options or as many options as we think we do, do I have an option to take my family out for dinner and go to, uh, you know, take taxi rides and then charge it to my business expense account. No, 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 I've died to that option. That is just not an option for me. Do I band together with my other colleagues and coerce and force my employer's hand and manipulate them? No, no, no. I've died to that option. That option is just not an option for me anymore. If I don't get the grades that I want, do I lie on my application for jobs or for university? No, 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 it is not an option to me. I have died to that. If I feel like I've been unfairly treated, do I go on glass door and publicly shame my employer? No, I've died to that choice. There might be other holier ways of dealing with it, but I've died to that choice. Do I bury my head in the sand when I see abuses of power taking place? No, I've died to that option. I cannot be passive. When I see immorality in leadership, do I silence myself? No, 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 I've died to that option. What about this one? Do I roll my eyes? Oh, my husband has made another really bad decision again. Here we go, I'm going to laugh about this with my girlfriends later. No, 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 I have died to that choice. That is not an option for me anymore. And so I don't know about you, but this feels like quite a heavy ask, quite an ask for us in the now but not yet. But this is a life of surrender and of submission to God, because to this we have been called, not for our sake, not for their sake, but for God's sake, that we would be his ambassador and point to God and his coming kingdom and its values. I'd love to pray with us then as we end this point Maybe you know Jesus, maybe you have decided to follow him at one point, maybe you haven't, but let's just take a moment just to pause and be aware or mindful of him in this moment. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word. We know that it is a sharper than a double-edged sword and it can cut things to pieces. Psalm 139 says... Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And just in this moment, this pause, if you feel God speaking to you about a specific point, maybe you feel angered or cross about a certain point, I just encourage you to bring that to God. Is God calling you to speak up? To hold leaders and authorities to account? Is he calling for you to change your management style a bit? The way that you speak about your employer, the way you speak about church? Are you loving other believers? Are you honoring the emperor, the emperor, the leader? 
And what about the oppressor in you? Just take this moment then to submit again to Jesus. Father, we've counted the cost of what it is to follow you. Jesus, we want to submit to you for your sake. Father, would you empower us to reflect you well, to honor you well, to speak of your love and your grace and your mercy and the way that we work, the way that we talk about authorities, how we react and how we act and what we post. Jesus, we want to be your servants, your ambassadors in the now but not yet. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We pray it's been a blessing to you. Why not share it with your friends and family through social media? If you're not on the regular podcast list, then why don't you subscribe? Thank you especially to those that give. If you want to give to this ministry, you can go to our website, thec3.uk slash giving and get involved. God bless you.